Um, I pray for, uh, for our hearts, Lord, receiving it, that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit, um, that you would soften our hearts to, to receive your truth, Lord. And I pray for clarity of thought and uh, for Drew. And um, yeah, just bless him, Lord. Thanks very much. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Jerry. Um, so before we hop in, I do want to just say one more thing, a note about the high school. So uh, most of the schools, as you guys probably know, have additional restrictions with uh, masks and things of that sort uh, over this last week and for the next couple of weeks. Um, and I want you to know that we're still totally on track to get back in the high school uh, and everything's looking good. So um, we have one more week after this here in this building. So this next week, the 19th, we're here in this building. Then we have one week where we're not having a service as we kind of move everything back over to the high school because we've brought over, honestly, quite a few things from the high school uh, over the last 18 months. And then um, on October 3rd, we're all back in the high school um, together. Um, so I just want to let you guys know that, that we're still moving forward and everything's looking good. Um, we are finishing up this week um, the fourth uh, part of our series on the faithless generation, the generation uh, that was brought out of Egypt and then died in the wilderness. Um, Aaron kind of laid this out our first week. It's kind of doing like a post-mortem, kind of finding cause of death. Um, we, uh, as we're looking at this whole story unfold, there's lots of moments that we run into. We've been talking about those the last few weeks. It's not necessarily just one moment that they failed and then they weren't able to enter the promised land. There's lots of moments, and so we've talked about some of that. But we are looking at kind of if there was to be a moment, the definitive moment that now this generation is not going into the promised land. This that's what we're kind of doing this week. Um, so, so far, we have, uh, as kind of a recap, uh, the first thing we talked about was grumbling. Remember, God does not like grumbling. God does not like grumbling. And then Aaron's third point was, God does not like grumbling. Yeah, okay, got it. <clears throat> then the second thing was wishing for the past, the good old days. Right now, I mean, we have God leading us around. He feeds us, drops food from, the, you know, just appears, drops down every day. Every time they get upset, they end up wanting just to be back in Egypt. And then the third thing we talked about this last week was the rejection of God and his leadership. In the Old Testament, we have kind of the opportunity and some of the benefit. When we look at these narratives, we actually get to see the whole picture, and we have hindsight. We get a, we're actually looking back, right? So we know how a lot of these things turn out. We also have the benefit of when we approach Scripture, of having the Holy Spirit speak to us through His Word, okay? Something that the Old Testament does, when we look at these stories unfold, especially some of the great tragedies of God's people as we see God's redemptive story, we actually get to see the heart of mankind. We get to see sin nature. We get to see our desperate need for Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes, kind of scary, also kind of cool, when you look at a story in the Old Testament, sometimes when you look at the story of a people, what you find is a reflection of your own heart. You look at something and you actually see things that point right back at you and show you your desperate need for Jesus. And so this story, as we kind of wrap up this series, um, does that for me. And I think it will for you guys as well. 
And the last thing I want to say about this is that um, this series, uh, Aaron and Matt and I were kind of talking through this. Uh, there are times when we talk through these stories and we read through this narrative, and it almost sounds like we're making a commentary on current events, okay? But we are not making a commentary on current events. But it sounds like it. So here's the thing. Today, as I share, it's going to sound like I'm telling you what you should or should not think about current events. And I am not saying that. However, there is a lot of amazing things in this story. It's a little bit brutal, and it should speak to your heart. And there are some things that God probably wants to speak to you about current events, and probably wants to speak to you about what's going on in your heart and has been going on in the last few years. And so that's the invitation for you this morning. So I'm not going to dictate any, any of that for you, but you have that opportunity to do so. And I would encourage you to do so as we look at this narrative. It's rich, and it's right to the heart. God's people get brought through the wilderness. They go th there's all the plagues and, and all of the signs and wonders. They finally get brought out of Egypt. Just that in itself is completely miraculous. And then they get to the, the Red Sea. They think they're stuck. The sea splits. They get brought through the sea. Then God begins releasing food to them six days a week and a double portion one day of the week so they can rest on the Sabbath. Just epic miracles. And the whole way through, they're an absolute pain in the neck. Right? We've looked at these time and time again. They're grumbling. They just keep saying that they wish they were slaves back in Egypt. And they keep trying to stone their leaders. So the people are finally right at the edge of the promised land. They're about to enter. They're at the cusp of realizing the promise of God. And so God tells them, take a leader from each of the tribes, respected among them, and send them as spies into the land to go check it out. And so 12 spies, because 12 tribes, go out, and they report back. So they start off, first off, there is massive fruit. They're huge. And we have, like, massive vegetables in Alaska. We don't have massive fruit. We can sometimes grow, like, apples. They're, like, tiny, you know? You, like, take a bite, and you're, like, through the apple into the core, right? Because they're so small. Or we have, we went out blueberry picking yesterday, and we got the, the low bush blueberries, which they're so small, you, like, you need to, like, like, the little pickers to get them, you know? Or, like, you have to do this, and just, like, you end up just stripping them off because they're so small. This is not that. They're massive fruit. And it's flowing with milk and honey, and then they start kind of like, yeah, but also, there's also really strong enemies. And then it gets even worse. And there's large, fortified cities. And there's giants. And so at that point, Caleb and Joshua speak up during this reporting back process. And they go, yeah, okay, but that's true. But let's, so this is the promised land. So let's go in and occupy, for we are able, with Jesus, with God. That's their immediate response. But as soon as they do that, the other ten spies just speak right over them. And they say, we can't. They're stronger. And then they say this, the land devours its inhabitants. 
which just sounds like, oh man, that sounds like the worst. So the commentary here is that the spies ultimately brought a bad report. So this is where we pick up the story in Numbers 14. See the first one. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we have died in the land of Egypt, or would that we have died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Will it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Which, this sounds familiar at this point, I think. It should feel pretty familiar to us. Verse 5. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua and Caleb, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we pass through to spy out is exceedingly good. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Which is a very rousing speech, I would say. Then the people, then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. So apparently not that rousing. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. So I have for you guys, we're going to make some six observations of this text. And I'm very excited, okay? You guys ready? First one, we have two competing narratives. We have the same set of facts, okay? We have the, the, the report comes back. We have, right, starts out with the good stuff. There's lots of fruit. It's, it's the land with milk and honey which is 50% unfortunate for those that are dairy intolerant, but it's going to be great. Um, they're going to have a good time. And then it kind of goes downhill, right? There's enemies, they're large, fortified cities, and then they just into despair. And they try to speak up, but it's for nothing. So in this, 12 spies, they go together, they see the same things, they agree on the same set of facts, and yet the narrative of what's actually in the land and what matters, what is significant, is completely opposite. They're completely opposite. One group is convinced the land is theirs for the taking, right? Caleb and Joshua, they're like, yeah. They give the whole report, the only thing they say is, Initially, they just say, yeah, let's do this. Let's go and occupy it for it's ours. And so one group says, yeah, reasons A, B, and C, it's not possible. And Caleb and Joshua say, that's just another thing. It's our land. Let's go. And so these 12 spies who have been through similar events, similar observations, similar survey, have a completely different take and reality and experience of what's really in the land. Number two, both reports are true. And this is important. The bad report is not a lie. It is true. Um, I've helped Gary fish on the rivers. Gary Sinhuper, he's a guide on the rivers. And um, 
it's a blast fishing with him. He's a, he's a pro. Um, and there's been some weeks uh, with Gary where um, I will talk with some people just around town at church, and they'll say, yeah, you know, this year... Um, the weather, you know, the weather's been kind of rough, you know, it hasn't been the best. And then um, also the temperature was kind of wrong and, and we can't use uh, a bait. And so that's kind of not the best. And so I just haven't, there's not really a whole lot of fishing to be had right now. And so I'm not out fishing. And I go, oh, that's a bummer. I'm sorry to hear that. And then I'll see Gary the same week and say, Gary, how's it, how's it going? I heard the fishing was bad. And he'll go, yeah, actually, it's great. No one's out. So I've been catching tons of fish. My clients are so happy right? And then he gives me the reasons why the fishing is actually good, and it's a lot of the same kind of reasons. It's ex- neither one of those, Gary's not lying, and that other person who's catching no fish, he's not lying either. Those are totally true reports. They've just done something totally different with it, and their story is completely different. But they're not experiencing different weather. <laughs> it's the same thing. Same regulations, same everything. So the land has giants. The land apparently devours its inhabitants. Large fortified cities. But also, Caleb and Joshua say, it's the land God's given to us. Number three, both parties are fully convinced. Caleb and Joshua don't seem too concerned about the obstacles. Everything gets pointed out and they say, let's go up for we are able. The people, on the other hand, care enough not to go to the promised land. They're convinced enough that they're going to die, that they're ready to still their leaders once again. Their food's just given to them every day. They have the presence of God with them, and they are convinced that going back to Egypt is a better option, which sounds honestly kind of insane. You know, you read stories sometimes, and I have this happen all the time. I read stories or see a movie or something, and I think, that seems kind of far-fetched. Like, that seems kind of ridiculous. I don't think someone would come to that conclusion. And then I think about it. I'm like, actually, that's human nature. That's kind of how it goes. Short-sighted, fickle, dramatic. The bottom line is both sides knew the next right step. They knew it. Caleb and Joshua looked at it. They knew it was the, the land that God had given to them, the land of promise. They knew the, the next step was to go take the land. But the people, you think if they were on the fence, like, yeah, maybe this is going to work out. Let's, let's like, maybe like, let's think about how we're going to do this, what our strategy is going to be. At that point, you do not stone your leaders. You stone your leaders when you know if you follow your leaders, you're going to die. So the people knew the next step that they needed to take was kill their leaders and go back to Egypt. For them, that was the only step. Both parties were fully convinced. Number four, fear is disguised as concern. Verse three The people are crying out. They say, why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. I mean, the people, they're really concerned, guys. They're really concerned about their kids. And they are, too. They're concerned about the next generation that's going to inherit their decisions. 
We can all, I recognize that. I mean, that, I, yes, for all of us, of course we are. But their fear is dressed up as great concern. This is more than concern. This is fear. Number five. This is where stuff starts getting kind of real. The people didn't believe God. Um, we've worked in missions for many years, my wife and I, and um, in the time that we were running a missions training course, we would send teams overseas for three months at a time, and I know many of you guys know this. Um, we would pick a location where we knew the people on the ground. We had some contacts, ministries, and we would line everything up for them. And the reason we did that is that um, because we had 19, 20, 21-year-olds, they just had very little life experience as far as just being out on their own. And they also had very little experience in missions, especially. And so we wanted to provide some safety for them, knowing that they're going to people that we trust, and they're doing ministries that we know are effective. And so there's one place we sent a team to um, that I went and visited halfway through as a check-in, and they told me how great it was. They said, yeah, it's awesome. In this country, it's amazing because everyone just goes with the flow. It's very relational. Our schedule is very flexible. They're working with a, a church planting ministry in an impoverished uh, area of that nation. It was like house church planting. So they were doing basic evangelism with that ministry. And they're like, yeah, it, this is amazing. We wake up every morning, we ask God, what do you want to do today? And we hear him, and we just obey, and we talk with people, and sometimes we feel like people aren't responding super well, but we know what God's doing, and we just know that God's at work. And so we just are having the best time. Honestly, I could stay here for way longer. I love this. And then, a couple years later, visited the same location, it's the same contacts, same ministry, same everything. The only difference is the team. And they hated it. Absolutely hated it. Could not wait to get out of that place. So I asked them about it, and they said, yeah, all we do, we wake up every day, we can't schedule anything. It's a ton of work. We're always talking to strangers. It doesn't seem like they're responding to anything. And, like, I guess some stuff has happened, but I just can't wait to get home. This is exhausting. And you notice the thing that's absent with that group, and we saw this all the time, is they just didn't believe God was working through them. They had no idea what God was doing. They were completely oblivious. When push came to shove, the people just didn't believe God. I think we read this a, a couple weeks ago, but it's a great commentary, kind of some, quite a few years later, by the psalmist, Psalm uh, 106. It says, Then they despised the pleasant land, having no faith in his promise. They murmured in their tents. They did not obey the voice of the Lord. They had no faith in his promise, and they despised the pleasant land he had promised them. They did not obey him. The people preferred, preferred their own narrative. It seemed safer. Faith believes God for the impossible, based on what he said, who he is. But they didn't believe him. They were convinced. And so the safer option for them, if, you, if there's a land that's impossible to overcome, and you don't believe God that he's going to do the impossible for you, then your only other option is the other one, which is a safer option. In this case, it's going back to Egypt. So this is the part 
in this story where we could stop. And your takeaway could be something that this story is not saying. And so I have six observations for you guys. Number six, Caleb and Joshua had faith, not optimism. So let me explain this. When we follow Jesus, when we know who he is, we know what he's promised, we know what he has said and declared, we are definitely going to be optimistic. Okay? However, being optimistic is not the same as faith. Being optimistic is like, uh, it's like floating faith. It's not anchored to anything solid. Optimism is me saying things get to be better tomorrow than they are today, in the future, which is good. It's just not enough. Faith is based on who God is, what he has spoken, what he has promised. We don't realize the promises of God through speaking out our desires just because we want the things. We don't get to choose to believe positive things just because they feel good. That kind of faith isn't real faith. It's just optimism. Things are just going to get better for whatever. If all they had was optimism, they'd still be in Egypt. And this matters because we get the good report, we get the bad report. We see this story and say, well, the good report because God's a God of goodness. And that's true. The good report is the right report because that's what God had promised. Exodus 33 says, The Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought out of Egypt, and go to the land that I promised to give you. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their descendants, I will send an angel to guide you. I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. And when they get talking more, then God says, Okay, I'm going to send my presence with you instead of an angel. So this is the promise. Faith is not detached from reality, but rather it's anchored to the greater reality, the reality that God sets out. Being optimistic does not make the impossible possible. The temptation from the story is to say, if there's a good report, that's God's report, and if there's a bad report, that's the enemy's report, that's the one without faith. But that's just, anyone can do that. That's just optimism. That's just saying, I, I'm going to believe the good thing, which is fine. This story is not about optimism. This story is about faith. And this is about the generation that was faithless. Being optimistic does not make the impossible possible. If they were optimistic, they would have stayed in Egypt. And they would have said, I believe tomorrow will be better than today. In one way, shape, or form. They, did, they weren't just optimistic. They were full of faith. Optimism can only create best-case scenario with the possible. Optimism isn't enough. Optimism doesn't get you to the promised land. It leaves you in slavery. The, the modern approach to the narrative that we live in is if it's a good one, then we get to settle for that. But I'll tell you what, a good narrative for the Israelites in slavery would have been that slavery was going to get a little bit more bearable. 
that would have been a great thing. It wasn't optimism that got him out of Egypt. It was faith. It was full trust. It was anchored faith in who God is and what he had promised. And for him to do the possible with the impossible. So I said, this story is this story that I want to give to you guys. But it says a lot about today. We have a lot of facts in front of us. An amazing amount of competing narratives. So let's finish this post-mortem. Ready? Yeah? Oh, there. It's back. People are losing it. The glory comes in, stops the leaders from getting stoned by the people. Moses has a conversation with God, and God agrees he's not going to destroy the people, and instead says that this generation is going to stay and die in the wilderness, and then their kids will enter the promised land. So here it is. Not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb and Joshua. But your little ones, who you said would become a prey, I will bring in, and they shall know the land that you have rejected. So cause of death. Lack of faith. I know it's tempting to draw the line one way or another about what kind of narrative you should believe. You don't need a negative doom and gloom narrative about your heart, about your life, about your family, or our country, or the world. You also do not need an unfounded happy thoughts narrative about what's going on. It is useless to you, and in fact, it will handicap you. What you need is the voice of God to guide your heart and guide your steps. It's something that I pray, and you guys know this, I pray almost every Sunday when I'm up here. I say, you are a God of power, you're a God that is alive and at work and a God that wants to speak. And I think we need that more than ever before. We don't need to balance out this, this more encouraging versus this negative about anything. We actually need to focus in on Jesus and say, what, is, what has God spoken? Who is he? And what is he calling me to? I pray for my family almost every day, and I pray this specific thing. I pray that God would give an inescapable and compelling awareness of the hand of God in my life and in my community. And I pray for that because I need a God of power, and I need a God that's personal and cares, and you need that too more than ever before. So here's kind of what I got for you guys as we kind of move forward. I got three questions you can ask. So first off, what has God spoken? What has he spoken through his word? What has he spoken to you? 
through circumstance? What has he spoken to your, to your heart, through your passions? What has he spoken to you in the, in the quiet place or through a friend or through prophecy? Sure. Could, could have been this week. Could have been 10 years ago. What has God spoken to you? Because you got to know that. And then, second thing. Do you believe him? And the last one. Have I acted on this faith? I said this cuts to the heart because I feel such a temptation to land uh, all kinds of places on basically well, all the same set of facts, all the different kind of narratives we have about everything right now. And there's a lot. So I think the invitation for you this morning is to come before God and say, what is it that God is speaking? I don't need to land on whatever. I need to know, what is God saying? Who is he? What has he promised? And do I believe him? And then have I taken that, and is that actually momentum forward? So that's your invitation this morning. Why don't you guys stand with me? Jesus, we thank you for your power this morning. We thank you that you're alive and that you're at work and that you're speaking. We thank you that we can trust on you, that we can trust on your word. We thank you, Jesus, that you guide us, that you not, you not leave us, but you are close to us. You are near. We ask, Jesus, that you would continue to speak to make yourself known. You speak through your word. You speak to our hearts. We thank you, Jesus, for this morning that you are a God of victory that you are a God that is present with us. You have sent your presence to be with us. So we thank you, Jesus. We just say you are good and powerful, and we lift you up this morning. We love you, Jesus. Jesus' name. Amen.